Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Good morning, Lifers. How are you? So good to be in God's house today. Man, I just... I'm floored every every week. It's so good and unexpected. I love not knowing what you're going to encounter each week and, and what God is going to do and how he's going to move. Um, I uh, appreciate you, Scott, with the announcements and uh, worship team. Just, uh, I, I mean, I just get lit up every time. I just sometimes I'm at a loss for words when I come up here. I'm like, I don't know what to say because I'm still soaking it in, you know. But... Uh, um, like Scott said, we believe everyone matters to God, and I, I appreciate the testimonies that Annie's sharing about how God was using her to help someone who probably felt invisible know that they mattered and that God saw um, her and met her need. And um, I just believe here at Vertical Life Church, we, we believe uh, a lot of things, but I believe if, that every week if you come with an open heart, you'll come the same, but you'll leave changed. You're going to be different because every time we encounter the Lord, we, we become new. We become something in us shifts, and, uh, and that's what I long for each and every week. It doesn't matter how heavy the load or how difficult the struggle, uh, God in his goodness is able to break through, and, uh, and we're just praising him for that. Uh, we are in week four of our series, Jesus, highlighting what has made him the most significant person in all of human history. And, uh, and so we are um, continuing to inch closer and closer to Easter. Uh, we have a very significant uh, Easter Sunday this year. It's not simply the day we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, which is uh, really all you need because that's the most important thing that's ever happened in all of history. But it's also Vertical Life Church's eighth birthday. So we began in 2014, and uh, we launched, we formally organized our church on Easter Sunday that year, and so it's come around, and so we'll have a little birthday celebration, take a family photo, and, and continue to um, uh, just chronicle what God is doing among us, and that's so, so very exciting. So we are going to be having uh, a lot of things happening that day. We will be having an Easter egg hunt for the little kids um, uh, immediately following our worship service. So you uh, definitely invite your friends, your family, and prepare for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We may even have the Easter Bunny running around and uh, a photo center. You can take a family photo uh, with or without the Easter Bunny. Depends on if that freaks you out or not. Sometimes costumes are scary, but uh, um, that, that's going to be really cool and really fun. Um, but uh, I encourage you a couple of things. Uh, since Easter is a big Sunday, we, there are two Sundays a year that we call Be Kind to God Sundays, Easter and Christmas. Because those two Sundays are the Sundays most people are willing to come to church that don't normally come. So I'm going to encourage you right now, be inviting your family and friends. Uh, be preparing for that day. Also, if you're on Facebook, on our Facebook page, we have an, a Facebook event for Easter already made. I would encourage you to do two things. Go on there and select or mark that you are going to our event. Not that you're just interested Mark that you're going. The more people that say that they're going, the cooler the event looks to everyone else. So if you just say interested, that's like, eh. But if you say you're going, it's like, yes! You know, right? So mark that you're going, and then share the event to your personal page so that everyone in your friends list can see the event, and it'll pop up on their news, uh, their, uh, their newsreel and uh, likely be a way to get them to come. So that's one thing you can begin doing now. And I encourage you to do that and, and uh, share all the stuff that we do post. Like if we post an event, we post uh, Sunday services, share those things because even the smallest thing that you can do to share the gospel with somebody is an important thing to do. The smallest thing, we're going to try to get some invitations and stuff for you to be able to pass out. But even just something that simple, it's important because that might be the seed God waters to save somebody's soul. 
and change their life, change their family, begin bringing a shift into their, into their whole sphere of influence. And so uh, any small thing or anything, big or small, we can do to help somebody begin a relationship with God is a worthy effort. Amen? Amen. So I appreciate you doing that, and, uh, and I know that this Easter is going to be really special. So, so far in this series, as we have been talking about Jesus, we've been talking about Jesus is our purpose. He's restored the meaning of life. Jesus is our equalizer. He's been restoring equality between every nation, tribe, and tongue amongst the people groups. He's also been restoring uh, our interactions and relationships and our understanding of marriage as he is our example. And today we're going to discover that Jesus is our liberator. Somebody say liberator. Jesus is our liberator. Uh, according to uh, Google definitions, a liberator is a person who liberates a person or place from imprisonment or oppression. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus has been changing lives since uh, he came and gave his life on the cross. And so it, it's an important thing that we understand that this is part of the impact that he has made as he's been transforming uh, people's lives all along. And so, especially in our culture, we seem to talk a lot, of, a lot about oppression these days. And a lot of our public discourse, especially in the realm of politics and, and social justice, in our nation especially, we are trying to identify who are the oppressed and who are the oppressors. We, we want to work to help the oppressed, but we also want to shut down or vilify the oppressors. And so the opposite of oppressed is liberated. That's the opposite. Or liberty. It's the state of being free or free in a society. And that concept of liberty is vital to democracy, especially here in the United States of America. And I want to say, I love my country. I love my country. Our country is not perfect. There is many things in our history that we can look back and say, man, I wish that never happened. But regardless, I firmly believe that America has been and will always be the greatest nation that God has ever brought into existence until Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem. There, there's something that God has done, has been doing in our nation that is so significant in the world. And we as a nation, historically, we have been the beacon of liberty all around the world. We have been this great light. From the dawn of time, again, there's not been a nation like this one. God, God tried to make Israel. If you go back and look at the, the Old Testament and you read about the nation of Israel, God tried over hundreds of years for Israel to be like America is today. To be this bastion of hope, this symbol of freedom uh, it was founded, Israel was founded as a Jewish nation who recognized Yahweh God as being the God of all gods. They weren't just a spiritual nation, they were a nation that was dedicated to the worship of Yahweh God. America was founded in a similar fashion, but we weren't founded as a nation dedicated to Yahweh God. We were founded as a nation or a spiritual nation that didn't recognize any particular God. We recognize the creator God in our founding, but we try not to assign an identity to that creator God in our public discourse. Um, this gave our citizens the right to worship as they saw fit, even though the predominant religion in our nation's history is the Christian religion. Spirituality at the time was heavily influenced by the Christian worldview. And so we, we say that our nation is a Christian nation or was founded as a Christian nation, and that's partly true, but the outset wasn't to create a Christian nation. It was to create a nation where you could worship God without being opposed or oppressed by our own government. And so there are some um, founding fathers, and it's important that we understand the, the history of our nation and, and really how this came to be. And there's some founding fathers that were some religious dissenters or skeptics. They were more agnostic in their belief. They believed that there might be a God out there, they just weren't sure. And then you also had other founders that were heavily influenced by Christianity, devout men of faith, and their influence was all over the founding 
of our nation. I want to uh, show you some quotes from a couple of our founding fathers today. Patrick Henry is very famous uh, for saying a specific uh, phrase or statement, but he was an American attorney, a planter, a politician, and he was famous for declaring to the Second Virginia Convention in 1775, give me liberty or give me death, right? We'll remember him always for this specifically. And as a founding father, he also served in the first sixth, uh, first and sixth post-colonial governor of Virginia. So he was also a Virginia governor. And he is quoted to have said this, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even though in our public documentation, we have it kind of separated so you can't force somebody to be a Christian, you also can't force somebody to not be a Christian, right? So that's the way we set it up, but the intention is that this was founded on the gospel. So even though Thomas Jefferson, a well-known deist, almost an agnostic in practice, was a skeptic, he produced the Declaration of Independence, was uh, part of the writers of the Constitution. Um, the culture of his day seemed to override his skepticism by the way we created and formed our nation. John Adams, he was a remarkable political philosopher, the second president of the United States after serving as vice president to George Washington. He is on the record writing a letter to Thomas Jefferson saying this. He says, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow, and I then believed, and I now believe, those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. So the second president of the United States, the first vice president of the United States, is he's talking about how the founding fathers formed a nation. They formed it in respect and in light of not just God, the Christian God, the God Almighty. He also, in writing to the Massachusetts militia on the 11th of October, 1798, he says, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, what John Adams is saying, he's saying that this constitution we've created will only work with a nation that respects and reveres God Almighty and who worships Jesus. Any nation that does not have that as their founding, this constitution is not going to work for. And if we look at our day today, we can see this was a prophecy. Because in a nation that no longer respects God or Jesus, we can see that the Constitution isn't even working as it's intended. So the reason why this is important, the influence of the Christian faith being a profound and vital influence to the founding of our nation, as inescapable as it is, no matter what the skeptics say, it's, in, it's important to understand because of the impact our nation has on the entire planet globally, and more importantly, the impact our Constitution alone has had on the entire world. Like, you may not realize this, but just our Constitution alone has had a huge impact on nations around the world. According to Encyclopedia.com, here's what they say. It says, it can easily be argued that America's most important export has been the Constitution of the United States. It was the first single-document Constitution it is the longest lived, and in only two centuries, virtually every nation has come to accept the inevitability and value of having a constitution, and this fact transcends differences of culture, history, and legal heritage. Like, despite of how these nations have operated historically, they've, majority have come under the understanding that this is the way to have a nation and a prosperous nation. The United States Constitution is perceived as the fundamental point of reference, even by regimes whose philosophical outlook is anti-democratic. Furthermore, nearly every nation has accepted the Philadelphia formula, either internally or universally, as by the means of which to create an effective 
Constitution. The international impact of the U.S. Constitution is also ongoing in reality. Most of the world's constitutions have been written in the last 40 years, and constitutions are rewritten and revised all of the time. The Constitution of the United States of America continues to be the guiding pattern and a wellspring of inspiration and innovation. If you think about the 300 years of our nation, we have one constitution. So even though all these other nations are patterning themselves after us, they still revise theirs, they're fighting wars, having revolutions, they're changing them all the time, um, trying to mirror what we've created. But it's only the United States of America that's been able to be a constant in the world. America is exceptional for many, many reasons, not just our constitution. But John Winthrop, who was a pastor, an evangelist, and a spiritual uh, Christian leader around the founding of our nation, in a sermon discussing his view of America, he was the first to call America in public discourse a city on a hill. And that goes back to Jesus' parable that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so he's painting this view of what America uh, is, it was intended to be. And Ronald Reagan in the, uh, in the 80s when he became president, he rephrased it not just to a city on a hill, but a shining city on the hill. The, this understanding that America was going to be a safe haven, a place to draw people out of danger in the dark and bring them safely into the light. And what has catapulted us into such success to become one of the most powerful nations and successful nations in the world, one where all the nations of the world are following our example, looking to America for inspiration and how to set up their, their government, is because of what brought about this nation, what organized the Constitution, the intention that they had to, to bring about this, this country. And we get a glimpse of that in one of George Washington's letters. George Washington wrote to Catherine Sawbridge Macaulay, and here's what he said. He said, the establishment of our new government seemed to be the last great experiment. Somebody say the last great experiment. America was the last great experiment for promoting human happiness by a reasonable compact in civil society. It was to be, in the first instance, in a, consider in a considerable degree, a government of accommodation as well as a government of laws. We were the last great experiment. So there was, there was a founding that happened, and we know because we're, we're living post the founding, but when they came together, it was for a specific purpose. There was something they had in their minds that they were coming together to try to create and it wasn't just to have a nation that had a bunch of laws that they enforced upon the people. It was for something very profound and very specific, that they would raise up a nation through liberty, through freedom. Nations for all time, from the dawn of time, have been enslaving and impressing their people for the enrichment of its leaders. Corruption reigns supreme in oppressive governments. In Proverbs 29, 12, it says, if a ruler pays attention to liars, all his advisors will be wicked. This is the political game. Deceive to leverage for power. And this is human history in every culture for all time. This is the name of the game. Lie, cheat, steal, coerce, convince the powers that be to gain more money, more power, push your agenda, and who pays the price but the people of the nation. And this is not simply just out of the influence of the darkness of sin in the human heart. There are spiritual rulers in the unseen world that have been influencing governments for, for uh, thousands and thousands of years. In Psalm 82, this is a, a psalm that is depicting God speaking to these principalities and rulers, these spiritual forces that have rebelled against God. And here's what the psalm says. It says, God presides over heaven's courts. He pronounces judgment on heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and to the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They're so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. 
I say, you are gods, you are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for the nations belong to you. So here the psalmist is writing, this is from God's perspective, and then he ends with a prayer. God, rise up, judge the earth. Why? Because God at the time of the Tower of Babel, when man was united in sin, he separated the peoples into nations and tribes and languages. And at that time, Scripture tells us, he also handed authority of those nations over to these principalities and rulers. But here the psalm says they didn't honor God in their ruling. They didn't promote human flourishing and direct the worship to God so that the world could be filled with his glory. No, these rulers didn't rule with justice or fairness. They ruled harshly, demanding worship for themselves. They exploited the weak. They dealt harshly with those they watched over. And their human emissaries, their representatives, the kings of the earth, followed suit and followed right after their oppressive behavior. And this is the moment God calls Abraham out and plants the seed that would become the nation of Israel, that all of the nations of the world would be blessed by the one who would come from Abraham's line. Even that long ago, that there would be one who would come. You see, Israel was supposed to be different. They were supposed to be God's people, but they chose to go the way after other gods. And what do we see all through the Old Testament in their history? They became corrupt, they polluted, they oppressed, and ultimately they lost their land and their nation. They broke their covenant. But the time came for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, to bless the nations, to bring a leader who would come and set all things right again. And what we see in Jesus Christ, as Jesus is the fulfillment of this Abrahamic promise, is that he, as the Messiah of God, had a specific mantle or charge or mission upon him. And we see this revealed in Isaiah 61. It's the very same text that Jesus reads to his countrymen when he is in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, getting ready to declare to the people, I'm the one that's been prophesied to come. I'm the seed of the woman from Genesis 3 that would conquer the power of the enemy. I'm the one that God has been telling you all along would come through Abraham and, and be raised up, and that's how the nations will be blessed. I'm the one who would come through David and be the eternal king to sit on the throne. And in Luke 4, 17 through 19, he quotes from Isaiah this mantle that's been handed to him, the work that he's going to be doing while he's here, opening the door uh, from the kingdom of darkness so people can go into the kingdom of light. And here's what Jesus reads. He says, The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is my mantle. As the Messiah, the presence of God is on me. And here's what I've been sent to do. He says, For he has anointed me to bring good news. Somebody say good news. Good news to the poor. He's, he has sent me to proclaim captives will be released. The blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus came on purpose. He came with a mission. And this is what he came to do. He came to do the opposite that the spiritual rulers of the unseen world have been leading nations and tribes and tongues to do for thousands of years. They were hurting people. Jesus came to help them. They were making them sick. Jesus came to heal. They were blinding people. Jesus came to release people from their blindness. They were making people captive. Jesus came to set the captive free. They were oppressing people. Jesus came to lift the burden in a time the Bible calls the time of the Lord's favor. I think we can all agree that God's hand of favor through all the mess and trials of our history the hand of God's favor has been on the United States of America. Unprecedented blessing in all of human history. My opinion as to why America is so great is not because we're great. It's because God is great. God is great. And His grace is great. And because God is great, 
also embedded in our founding documents is not only the recognition of God, that we were created by God, all things flow from him, but also that we have certain inalienable right. The term inalienable literally means they're unable to be taken away or given away. Your inalienable rights cannot be taken from you, and you cannot give them away. Why? They're given by God to you forever. So in other words, we recognize God has given us some things that can't be taken or given away. And this is important. Why, as citizens of this country, we need to be aware of what's happening in Washington and also aware of who we're electing into office because there are some who, through the passage of laws or executive orders, are trying to circumvent this very truth. We, as the citizens of America, we believe that these are things given to us by God that cannot be taken away, and some are trying to circumvent that belief and take them away anyway. But you can't give away these rights, and they can't be taken from you. What are they the right to? They're the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is why it's beyond me why the debate for abortion ever even exists in this nation. Because if we're all created by God and we have inalienable rights to life, all human life has this right, it shouldn't even be a debate. It shouldn't even be an option. But that's evidence of what some in the government, some in Washington and culture are trying to um, perpetrate on our nation. But the brilliance of the writing of these inalienable rights, and this is I think the majesty of God and his hand upon this nation is that embedded within them is the mantle of the Messiah. The mantle of the Messiah. The first right list is we have the right to life. Jesus in John 10.10 10 says the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have what? Life. And life more abundantly. The mantle of the Messiah, that you might have life, and life more abundantly. A rich and satisfying life. It's this purpose. Jesus came to give you life. How did he do it? He came to give you life by giving up his life. He came to give you life by giving up his life. And he made it possible for you to discover true life, your true purpose, even eternal life, as he opened blind eyes. So we know from Scripture that unbelievers are blinded by the enemy. It says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So the enemy, the work of these principalities and powers, is to lead people into spiritual blindness, even physical captivity and oppression, ultimately leading to destruction and death, chaos. Remember what Jesus said when he was dying on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You could retranslate that by saying, Father, forgive them. They're all blind. They can't see. In Scripture, we hear statements like, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Pay attention. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're spiritually blind and you're spiritually deaf, you're not going to hear what God is trying to tell you. And it took the act of him giving his life to break the power of the enemy in order for us to be able to have open eyes and open ears that we could see and we could hear. Before Jesus, we were spiritually blind. The decisions and beliefs led us into the agenda of the enemy, not the abundant life of Christ. But when you chose to put your faith and trust in Christ, your spiritual eyes were opened. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and you're able to see. You come out of the kingdom of darkness, and you transfer your citizenship into a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. You go from living an oppressed life to begin living an abundant life that Jesus was offering. So we have the right to life. We also have the right to liberty. Somebody say liberty. 
You have the right to freedom. Freedom. He came to set us free. The root cause of sin or suffering and oppression and corruption is ultimately the sin that lurks in our hearts, and it's exploited by the enemy. That's why it feels like there are things in our lives we can never break free from. I keep wrestling with the same problem over and over and over again. Why? Because sin binds, sin holds you captive. We talk about spiritual strongholds. It's like being locked in a prison cell. You keep beating up against the same problems over and over again because the power of sin and what the enemy does to bring oppression, dysfunction, heartache, and pain into your life. But Jesus came in Romans 5, 6, and he gave his life on the cross. And it says, since you have been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. So when Jesus gave his life on the cross, not only did he de defeat sin and death, but he broke its power so that in him you can break free from the sin that's been holding you captive and walk free as you were always intended and created to be. He's come to give you liberty, to give you freedom. This process begins when you give Jesus your heart and mind. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. And I, Isaiah declares that after the mantle of the Messiah, after he talks about what the Messiah would be doing, this would be the results of his work, the results of the Messiah in the world and in your life. He says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he might be glorified. God, I've got this heaviness. Okay, Jesus said, give that to me, and I'll give you grace, and I'll change your lament to a song of praise. Oh, God, I'm grieved about all this stuff in my life. Okay, okay, I'll take away your ashes by washing you with the oil of joy. Jesus' work changes lives, beginning to clean up what the enemy has spent your whole life trying to make dirty. He would see you be free from what oppresses you, that you would be saved, that you'd be healed, and that you'd be delivered. And Jesus won our freedom on the cross, and he guarantees our freedom through the power of his resurrection. To all who trust in him, he gives liberty. And the freedom to be who he created us to be. Isn't that good? Because deep down, we all know. We all know, man, that's not me. That wasn't my character. Man, why did I do that? I should have never done that. We have all this condemning talk whenever we step out of character or do something that we know wasn't right. Because deep down, we know that's not who I am. But sin tries to keep me from being who I am. Jesus has come to set us free to be who we are in him. And finally, we have the right to pursue happiness. You know, many people twist this to mean anything goes in this nation. You can just do whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, this is, this is your right. But beloved, this is not what this means. It's not what the framers intended. You see, they were talking about discovering true joy by discovering your purpose to which you were created. God has created Therefore, you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Your happiness comes from the creator. So there's an intention. The gospel of Jesus Christ is also good news. That's what the word gospel means. The word gospel means glad tidings, good news. And what does good news bring? Happiness. Right? Think, think about when someone comes up to you and they're like, I got something to tell you. I got good news and I got bad news. What do you want first? I'm always the bad news first kind of guy. Tell me the worst first because I want to feel better after this conversation. So if I know that, okay, that's the worst, then I mean, this has got to be good. It makes you feel joy, right? So the good news brings joy. In Isaiah 52, 7 through 12, talking about the Messiah the one who brings good news. Jesus came to bring good 
news. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation, freedom, liberty. The good news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing for joy, for before their very eyes they see. There's no more blindness. They see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. So let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. The enemy likes to steal, kill, and destroy, which means where sin abounds, destruction reigns. You take a beautiful city, you think about Ukraine right now, these magnificent cities that have been bombed with, with missiles and rockets and have gone from being these extravagantly architectural designed places to being rubble. What is found there? Mourning, sadness, weeping, trauma, pain. But here, because of the Messiah, let the ruins break into joyful song. Why? Because when Jesus comes into a place and the presence of God touches a place, it begins to rebuild what's been broken, to restore what's been out of place, to put it back to where it was always meant to be. The city of Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem means city of peace. So when your peace is destroyed, when the Messiah touches it, he's going to bring the peace back to where it used to be. He's going to restore it. He's going to redeem it. This is good news. So guess what we get to do because the Messiah is coming to rebuild ruins. He says, get out and leave your captivity. Get out and leave your captivity where everything you touch is unclean. When you're in that place of darkness, you're in, the, you're in that place of uh, oppression and sin, everything is coming against you. But now, because of Jesus, you can get out. Purify yourselves. You who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. Where were the sacred objects found? They were found in the temple of, the whole, of God in Israel. So these objects had been carried away when the nations came in and conquered and, and destroyed and so these things were carried away into Babylon. And when God allowed the Israelites to come back to uh, Jerusalem, Israel, the kings released those objects to go back into Jerusalem. So now you have these, these priests are moving from Babylon back to their place, back to their hometown, back to where the, the ruins of the temple are. And they're carrying the objects of worship to the Lord. And here Isaiah is saying, Purify yourself who carry home the sacred objects. Why? Because these objects are going to be used again. What you're carrying from your place of brokenness is going to be used to be the testimony of God's goodness in your life. What is meant to be your brokenness, your place of reminding of all the shame and all the stains and all the darkness of your past, God's going to use for you to catapult your worship and to glorify him. And you'll not leave in a hurry running for your lives. For the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. God has your back. He's going before you to clear the path. And he has your back. See, the gospel is good news. It brings peace and salvation. Again, verse 9 proclaims, Ruined places can sing for joy. The work of the Messiah brings joy to desolate places. As God comforts you, you begin to leave your captivity into freedom. Purify yourself from the unclean thing and walk in your freedom. You can break the hold of depression in your life. You can break the hold of loneliness. You can break those addictions. You can break off the dirt of past mistakes. Why? Because Jesus has already made a way when there seemed to be no way. The gospel is good news because, beloved, you've been liberated. You've been set free. Why has America been so successful? I believe it's because we set out to build a nation that exists to continue the work of Jesus in the world, to lift up the oppressed, to release the captive, open the eyes of the blind, and help people discover happiness in a dark and oppressed world. But where we failed as a nation, and where we will ultimately fail, is because we're trying to do the mission of Jesus apart from Jesus. 
God will always bless his work. If you do what's right, good consequences will come. You know, it says the blessings of God fall on the just and the unjust alike. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. So God blesses people who are apart from him that do good. So we are in the mission of doing what Jesus came to do, but we will ultimately fail because we're trying to do it apart from God. You see, Israel was dedicated to God and they turned away from God. We decided to unite in respect of God, but do it without God. But there is a kingdom, beloved, that's an everlasting kingdom. That has a king who never fails. He never misses the mark. He never fails to keep a promise. His love is unfailing, never changing, and he liberates. He doesn't listen to liars, therefore his counsel is always good. He is a king who is above every king. His kingdom is a greater kingdom. He is, if you didn't know, the prince of peace. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's our bridegroom. He's our beloved. He is our blessed hope. He is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the word. He is wisdom incarnate. He is the creator. He holds all things together by the power of his command. He's before all things, in all things, filling the universe with himself. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, yet he is our high priest interceding on our behalf. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is love. He is the perfect balance of grace and truth. He is filled with joy. He rejoices over his people with singing. He is our provider, our protector, the Lord of the angels, armies of heaven. He is our rest. He is our healer. He is our refuge. He is our mediator. He is our sacrifice. He is our resurrection. He is our deliverer. He is our liberator. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. For now, God is using America to liberate people from oppression across the world. But unless God does something miraculous, we cannot count on our nation. But we can count on Jesus. Just as Jesus came to liberate then, beloved, he is still liberating today. And he desires to set you free. I'm so glad he is infinitely more patient than any human has ever been and will ever be. Because honestly, I would have given up on me a long time ago. But Jesus never gives up. He never loses faith. And he endures through every circumstance. His love is patient and kind. And it keeps no record of being wronged. And beloved, he's ready to touch some lives today. If you're ready and willing to lay your burdens down at his feet. It's amazing as this morning, my wife and I were praying before getting ready to, to come. And in that prayer, I prayed, God, Jesus, we just want to sit at your feet today. And then in our prayer circle that we do before church, Becky's there and she's praying, God, we want to sit at your feet today. And I just believe that's on his heart. I believe that's on his heart. I believe the Lord wants us to sit at his feet. And you see, the story is simply this. Jesus was at a house of his friends, and he was speaking. And there were two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha was the worker. She's like, the master's here. I got stuff to do. I got toilets to clean. I got floors to sweep. I got 
I got vittles to fix in the kitchen. You know, I've got, I've got all of these things that I got I to gotta get this stuff done. I mean, this is, Jesus is here. Like, God is in my living room. Like, how would you feel? Like, we get worked up when, when we have company coming over. Like, this, God is the company today. He's in the living room. This guy is walking on water. If I don't sweep this up, he might have to float over my floor. I don't know, but you know, you know what I mean? It's just like, this is the one. If there's anyone you do good for, this is the one. And so he's there. He's hanging out, and she's working in the room. She's slaving away, and her sister is sitting at Jesus' feet, just listening to Jesus speak. And Martha's in the back room frustrated as all get out. Now, we do prayer nights at our house on Sunday nights. And about an hour or so before everyone comes over, it is a mad dash to clean up the, the house. To clean up after the animals, to organize, to clean the bathrooms, do the dishes, make the house look like we're neat and organized people throughout the week. If you've ever come early to our house, you can see the crazy stare in our, in our eyes before we get there. We're kind of cross-eyed and, you know, we got the shakes and we didn't have time to decompress before we get there. But, but it's like this mad deal. And if any one of our kids are not, like, helping, you better believe their siblings are jumping on them. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You, you could be doing this. You could be doing that. So if you're working and your sibling is over there not helping you, it's kind of frustrating. You're like, what is in your brain? You are losing your mind, you know. This is what's happening with Mary and Martha. So she goes and she's like, hey, you need to tell Mary to get to work. You need to tell Mary to get to work. And the Lord's like, she knows. There's not much time left. There's plenty of time to do all this. There's plenty of time to do all that. She knows that her time is short. My time is short. So she's spending her time with me. And I just believe in our Christian life and in our faith, we spend a lot of time doing all this stuff because we think if I just do a little more, that'll be enough earn my breakthrough, to earn a touch from the Lord, to earn God's kindness and his goodness. And all Jesus wants is for you to come sit at his feet. Jesus doesn't set people free because he earned it. He sets people free because he's our liberator. He's come to deliver, to heal, and restore. And I just believe in my heart that we need to get out of our minds this, I need to do more for God to want to touch me. And we just need to sit at his feet and say, okay, God, I'm ready for you to touch me. I'm ready for what you have for me. Let's bow for prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Just We're in a time of response as the music begins to play. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our deliverer, for, our, for being our healer, for being our savior. And God, I'm so thankful that you don't have to do anything to earn it. Matter of fact, we spend most of our time doing the exact opposite. We spend a lot of time running. We spend a lot of time doubting. We spend a lot of time fearful of what might happen if we take you at your word. We spend a lot of time trying to manage our lives when really we're not in control. You're in control. We may make our plans, but you're the one that orders the steps. We spend a lot of time doing a lot of things, like Martha being busy in the kitchen, Stuff that we don't even need to be doing. Stuff that's not even our responsibility to do it. We're led by anxious thoughts. We're led by fear. We're led by all of these different emotions. Because all of us still have brokenness in our lives. 
still have struggles. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you, you came to set us free and you're showing us in your word that we just have to come and sit at your feet. We just have to wait on the Lord and we will renew our strength. God, when you speak and you move, it makes all the difference in the world. And so, Lord, I don't know what needs you want to speak into today. I don't know what strongholds you want to break, what breakthroughs you want to give. I just know that you want to do it because that's who you are. You're the breakthrough God. And so, Lord, what we're going to do for the next little bit as Tony leads us in another song and we open a time for response. We're going to come and sit at your feet. And I thank you, God. I thank you for the appointed breakthroughs for today. But God, I pray for those that maybe that are here that still have a difficult week this week or weeks to come, that you would encourage them right now with a word. You would encourage them, Lord, with an encounter that would help them be still and know that you are God. You've come to give them life. You've come to give them liberty. And through the power of the gospel, joy exceeding joy. God, thank you for our nation. But even more, God, thank you for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. May your kingdom come May your kingdom be on display now, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Let's all stand to our feet. If there's something on your heart that you need breakthrough, you need freedom, now's the time to come. Even this week, just faced with the reality that there are things that I knew that I needed to do to be obedient that I was unwilling to do because of fear. But God's goodness showed up and he's doing what only God can do. He's doing miracles. So maybe you know you need to come. You need to ask for prayer. There are, there are things that you know you need to do, but there's something stopping you. I would encourage you to step out anyway. Trust Jesus. He never fails. And he's always good. church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless